You're listening to Flintco Forward, our ecosystem of innovation. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Flintco Forward. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B. On today's episode, we're breaking down lean in the construction industry. And just to give it a simple definition, a lean organizational structure is designed to create more customer value using fewer resources than a traditional organizational structure. Simple enough, right? Well, as the industry came to find out, this one-size-fits-all approach wasn't cutting it for the construction industry and specifically on construction job sites. Flintco saw the incompatibility and instead of giving up, they adapted. So I'd like to welcome Melanie Gilbertson, Lean Manager, and Peter Kozik, President and CEO of Flintco, to provide some perspective on lean in the construction industry. Melanie, Peter, welcome to both of you. Great to have you on the podcast. How are you all doing? Excellent. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to have you both on. And, uh, you know, I'm sure you heard my definition and were thinking, wow, that was way overly simplified. So I'd like to give you a minute here. What would you both add to that definition or maybe history of just lean and lean organizational structures that you think really helps sum up what it is and what it does for a business? I would say actually your definition, I don't think was over, overly simplified because okay. that's kind of the props to me then. <laughs> exactly. Right. Like, no, that's, that's the essence of lean is like, let's provide the most value with the least amount of resources. Um, you know, so the way that I explain it is, is more of a, a mindset for us. It's, it's a big part of our culture. Um, you know, if, if you're familiar with our ethos at all, we, we talk a lot about being committed to success. Um, mediocrity is unacceptable. We want to be results driven. And there's a, a phrase in there that I particularly like that complacency is not part of our culture. Well, if you turn that around to a lean mindset, like I consider that, um, you know, this lean mindset of what can I do better? So culture has to play a big part of it. And as you know, culture is a, a huge part of the business world right now. It, you know, it's all about how you attract people to your company, how you retain them. Um, but I think it also, you know, lean offers an opportunity to take these complex systems that we have in our business and, you know, a kind of simplify them to the most, uh, the processes that, you know, provide the most value, but also gives us a structured approach to be able to improve on those processes and improve our results over time. You know, the one thing that uh, I've noticed is that when you walk onto one of our jobs that is uh, that has deployed uh, Lean 2.0, you can tell right away that you're on a lean job. Uh, it, it feels very collaborative. Uh, there's in many cases, there's a higher level of uh, energy and enthusiasm about accomplishing uh, milestones, whether they be daily milestones, weekly milestones, or monthly milestones. People are in the know. Uh, you see men and material organized in a much, much better way than, say, on a traditional construction site. And uh, th the other thing that we haven't talked about, which is really important, is the um, the link between lean and safety and with all of the uh, collaboration that takes place on a lean job all of the communication that takes place on a lean job all of that has a direct impact on uh, on the uh, safety performance of that particular job i mean so it really sounds like when lean works it's both an organizational restructure but also a, a cultural and a um, just a, a company mindset restructure as well. It very much is a mindset. And, you know, I kind of mentioned this earlier uh, in the introduction, but 
this lean structure wasn't an instant compatible match with the construction industry to many people's disappointment. Um, you know, it seemed to work in other capacities, but for some reason it just wouldn't stick. So let's break that down a little bit. What was the history of bringing lean to the construction industry? Um, and when did the majority of the industry give up on this organizational structure? And really, why did it fail in the first place? Well, lean has been around the construction industry for a couple of decades. And uh, over that period of time, several construction companies have taken a crack at implementing lean, uh, but most frankly, tried it for a period of time and then decided that it, for whatever reason, wasn't working. And, uh, you know, I've heard, I've heard other construction executives say about lean that they understand why it would work in the context of a manufacturing facility, but there's no way it can work on a construction site because there's too many things that are unpredictable and they always point to weather as being the obvious one. Um, so, you know, today there's a handful of companies across this industry that, uh, are, are doing lean and probably doing lean pretty well. Uh, a lot of companies will talk about lean, but they're not really uh, deploying any tools. Uh, what we did is we embarked on our lean journey about three years ago, hired an outside consultant to help us, and we decided that our approach would be that we would develop uh, lean tools and we would de deploy them on two pilot projects, and we would focus on those projects and we, we would uh, wait until they were completed so that we could determine whether or not lean actually worked at Flinko. And uh, today um, we've completed 20 lean projects and we've got about 47 lean projects underway with a total value of about uh, $2.9 billion. So it took some finagling, but it does work. It absolutely think, does work. Oh, I, I would add to that, that um, uh, Peter didn't, you know, he said we made the decision even that we is our leadership, like from from Peter all the way down, they made the decision to support this effort. So there wasn't that expectation that, oh, it's it's just a grassroots effort. We'll let the guys in the field figure it out, like what we have seen it happen at, at other companies. Um, and I think that's been the huge difference in how we're sustaining our program and how we've seen the growth in such a short time is we've got the kind of this perfect blend of people who are interested just because you know, there's those folks who are always challenging the status quo and want to get better. And, and of course, we have more than our fair share of them at Flintco because of our culture. But everybody knows that they've also got leadership support and that this is a very important initiative um, for the company, you know, one that we're sustaining long term. So that's that's made a huge difference in, you know, our ability to sustain the program, you know, from this point forward and beyond. Yeah. And really trying to implement something like this, that's such an organizational change to a business really does require that kind of top-down mentality, um, but also not just from a leadership perspective, but from a, a resource perspective too. You know, being able to create a structure that fully understands the industry, fully understands um, the kind of people you're working with, the kind of projects you're working on, and giving them the you know either the soft skill resources or some of the more focused direction on how to achieve them and that doesn't really happen on its own and it doesn't happen in a lackadaisical way it's very much a focused uh structural shift for a company it absolutely has to be an intentional approach it has to be a systematic approach 
But you also have to keep in mind that our projects, you know, that we do at Flintco, like they range in dollar value, uh, you know, from million dollar projects to $350 million projects and beyond. Um, they range in, you know, time duration. They range in how many people we've we staff the job with from very large teams to very small teams. So we knew that scale was was going to be a big key. And that's why when we went through that exploration uh, phase at the beginning of our journey and then kind of validating, OK, these practices are what really seem to work well for us. We always tried to keep in mind uh, how can we scale these and, you know, make make the system uh, that has become Lean 2.0. How can we we make this something that we can adapt to all of our projects and make it easy to roll out? And those soft skills play a huge role in that. Um, you know, one of our, our standard practices is facilitation and coaching. The you know, that is all about soft skill, how to you know, host these lean meetings, uh, specifically when it comes to the last planner meetings that we have, how can we, you know, draw out that input? How can we make sure everybody's voice is heard? Training our people to become internal lean subject matter experts. Like that's a lot of that focuses on those leadership skills, those those soft skills that you don't necessarily learn, you know, in the classroom or in an apprenticeship, you know, working on your your trade skills. And I feel like it's really timely to be having this conversation now. Uh, because really we're in the middle of a labor shortage in construction. And it's something that the industry has been dealing with for a while, and it doesn't seem to be fixing itself anytime soon. You know, it really does take a focused um, and business-to-business approach to really fix it. Um, Earlier this year, Fox Business reported on an Associated General Contractors of America survey that said nearly 78% of construction firms uh, were saying 2019's biggest concern was filling salaried and craft positions. So that was most uh, most companies' biggest concern. And now as recently as May, a story came out on uh, construction and demolition recycling, and they reported that construction jobs are actually showing no signs of slowing their growth. So, you know, companies are are um, seeing a lot of job sites active, Um, clientele is booming, Uh, you know, it doesn't seem like the industry is going to slow down, but yet these labor shortages continue. So would you say that having a lean structure is at the core of not only surviving, but really thriving in today's industry? I would agree with that. And, you know, maybe to put some numbers on it, uh, labor productivity in the construction industry runs at about 40%. And that's a very low number by uh, any other industry. And so, you know, people, uh, when they talk about this labor shortage, they automatically default to, well, how are we going to attract more people into the industry? How are we going to train more skilled uh, craftsmen, et cetera? And we stood back and said, well, you know, for sure, headcount is going to be a part of the solution, but why not address the labor productivity issue first? And so if you can take uh, uh, that labor productivity number from 40% to 50%, you've increased your labor productivity by 25% and you've not added a single person to the job site. Lean is one of the tools that allows you to get to that kind of productivity improvement. And the other thing about our industry is that uh, on a construction project, 30% of every dollar spent creates no economic value. In other words, it's wasted. And so we took a look at those when we were making the decision uh, three years ago about whether or not we were going to embark on a lean journey. 
to me, those were the two things that really stood out as reasons for why we should make the investment and, you know, time, effort, financial resources, et cetera, and start down this journey. And so far it's gone uh, really well. Uh, you know, I talked about those two pilot projects and our commitment to the firm or to the organization was that we would not roll lean out until we knew that it worked at Flinko. But what happened, as Melanie talked about earlier, you know, okay, maybe the leadership started this initiative, but then it was a grassroots, uh, almost like an uprising and people, uh, teams around the company were saying, can my job be the next lean job? Can my job be the next lean job? And this is before our pilot projects were done. And uh, so as of today, we've completed uh, 20 lean projects and we have another 47 under construction. So Peter, you mentioned it, Flintco wasn't going to bring lean to the organization until y'all were sure that it was going to be effective and it wasn't going to be something that would just cause more issue and more strain to an already stretched workforce, um, which basically led to Flintco developing their own version of lean known as lean 2.0. Um, this really attempts to morph that structure and methodology of lean to finally be able to fit into the unique challenges of the construction industry. So could both of you break down what that development process was like and what the steps were that you had to take to make sure lean 2.0 wasn't going to have the same mistakes that lean initially had and that was really going to be representative of the needs of your industry and your company? So development process wise, um, I had the, the fortune to, to come to Flintco um, shortly after they, they had made the decision to move forward with the two pilot projects. Uh, when the opportunity presented itself to, you know, go work for a company that had, you know, the intention of this is something that we, we want to roll out across the company, um, you know, I, I couldn't say no to basically what was my dream job. So I, I took a lot of that experience with me of having seen, okay, here's, you know, as a person in operations, here's what I felt like didn't work. Here's what my colleagues felt like didn't work. Uh, so that played a big role in the development. And at the same time, you know, while we're exploring what works well for Flintco, um, I'm always, you know, was getting feedback from the teams that I was working with during this early phase on what do you like about this? What do you not like about this? What can we improve upon? Uh, one of the things that we discovered was, um, even though we, you know, we had an outside consultant and very knowledgeable, provided a, a lot of knowledge to us. That's, you know, the foundation of how we run some of our processes today. Our teams felt like, you know, they were more engaged. They wanted to be more involved with an internal person, you know, somebody who's wearing the same Flintco shirt that they are. Uh, so we really started to see the value in having in-house expertise. And when we talk about the, the people aspect of Lean 2.0, uh, where, you know, we have folks identified as lean coaches who are our internal subject matter experts. Uh, we have lean champions on the project who, you know, are kind of responsible for, you know, being that point of contact. And then, of course, you know, making sure that the entire project team knows lean is a team effort. It's not a one person effort. All of that came from that experiential learning in the exploration phase and, you know, really putting a priority on having in-house folks you know, everybody's playing on the same team for Flintco. So that, that was a big part of that development aspect. Um, the other, uh, I would guess, I would say, you know, part of that journey is the practices that we uh, 
formalized as part of our, our five standard practices. And then there's a plus one practice. Uh, that's our elective practice. And that, you know, that's what became Lean 2.0. And the, the five standard practices really developed from, you know, last planner system is, is one of them. It's kind of foundational aspect. That's one that we explored very early on that we put in place on our two pilot projects and then, you know, rolled out to the other volunteer projects because last planner system has such a huge impact on the schedule of the job, which, of course, you know, affects our overall success on a project, you know, whether we're turning that project uh, over on time or early and, and meeting that owner's schedule expectation. Um, and, of course, last planner truly is a system where you, you really have to put all the steps in place in order to be successful. And so we knew, you know, we needed this in-house expertise in order to help shepherd folks through that. Uh, so that's where the second practice really kind of came into play is that facilitation and coaching practice and having that in-house. Uh, so again, getting a lean coach involved in every project so that, you know, the project team has this geographically close resource that they can reach out to when they have questions, when they need to follow up on something so that it's not a, a one and done approach. Um, we knew that, you know, we, we not just my own experience, but a lot of folks that but work at Flintco had uh, previous experience, you know, some of them who came from other companies and had been through a lean implementation before. One of the consistent feedback comments that we got was, oh, well, they threw a book at us and told us, you know, here, read this, now go and implement. Or we sat through one class and then nothing ever happened after that. So we knew we had to have a plan to, you know, follow up in person with our project teams and, and that's part of that coaching practice is checking in with those teams, not just doing the initial training. Um, and again, to you know, support our, our implementation, we knew training was going to play a big role. So that's kind of how the third uh, practice developed is that training of our entire project team. Um, we knew we couldn't be successful if we just expected our trade partners to show up or even our fellow Flintco teammates to show up. And, you know, OK, well, you're going to do last planner system, even though you have no idea what that is. Uh, so training played a huge role in it, um, not only so that folks would know what we expect from them when they show up on the job site, but also so that, you know, our external teammates like our trade partners, the owners and designers know what they can expect from Flintco. Uh, so, you know, hold us accountable as we hold them accountable. It's a it's a two way street on, you know, the training and implementation of, of lean practices. Uh, the fourth the fourth standard practice that makes it lean 2.0 is co-location. And how co-location developed is uh, initially, you know, back in the early stages of our journey, uh, there were still a lot of job sites where the, you know, field side, the superintendent side would have a separate trailer on the job site from the office side where the project managers and project engineers were located. And, you know, even though it, they might have only been 10 feet away physically, you know, separated by a deck. There was a noticeable difference in the lack of communication on those jobs and the lack of cohesion between the, you know, the teams. Uh, so we knew right away, like, that's that's not a good way to, to go about implementing lean. You know, again, lean is a team effort. We have to make sure that our team is acting as one unit. So uh, when we, we started out using co-location, uh, we really just wanted to focus on field office setup. How can we get our folks, you know, in the same space where they can effectively communicate, where our trade partners can come in and, you know, talk to the folks that they need to talk to again, face to face and avoid that whole temptation to uh, build by email, um, you know, because somebody's sitting on the opposite side of the trailer from you. 
And what that has grown into now um, in 2019 with our use of co-location, not only do we, are we still focusing on field office layout, uh, but we also spend a lot of time focusing on our big rooms, our big meeting rooms uh, where we have, you know, our on-site meetings or, um, you know, meetings with the owner and the design team and really focusing on how is that space laid out to hold effective meetings? You know, do we do we have enough space for our visual communication? Um, we've set up some standard visual communication practices uh, as part of that co-location uh, umbrella that we call a lean startup kit, which is, you know, at a bare minimum, it includes our schedule boards uh, for our look ahead schedule and, you know, weekly schedule and daily schedule. It includes a constraint board. Uh, we started like pre-printing our sticky notes. Uh, we standardized the colors. And a lot of this is based on talking, you know, that, that startup kit was all based on talking to our project teams and getting their input on, you know, what would make your life easier when setting up a job or when communicating with your trades and, you know, visual communica communication, sorry, visual communication played such a huge role in that, um, that we knew we, we wanted to make it as easy as possible. So, you know, things like I'm, I mentioned the preprinted sticky notes earlier, um, that came actually directly from our trades. Like they said, you know, it's taking time to to write out all these lines. I never know what color I'm supposed to use because it depends on what Flint code jobs I'm at. So why not make that decision easy and, and standardize all of that, create a standard work process. Um, so again, co look you know, circle back around co-location uh, has, has become this, this big umbrella of, you know, how do we, it affects all things, you know, job site layout wise and, and office uh, layout wise. Um, and the last, the last practice of our five standard practices is establishing conditions of satisfaction. And again, that, that came from, um, it wasn't something that we did initially in the exploration uh, kind of phase with our, our pilot projects, but we had a couple projects who were willing to, you know, try it out. Okay. Yeah, we can, we can get behind setting some goals and talking about what a success look like on this job. And what we saw was almost an immediate impact of, hey, they really come together as a team when everybody's goals are aligned. And we talk about this and, you know, we don't have these hidden objectives, uh, which is one of the advantages I think conditions of satisfaction offer. Um, the other unique thing about them is, you know, yes, okay, you're, you're establishing these conditions that say, you know, if these things are met, I will walk away feeling satisfied with this project or walk away you know, thinking this project was a success, uh, which a lot of the industry has done with partnering meetings or, you know, it's just kind of part of that client relation thing that you're supposed to do at the beginning of a job, right? Um, but with the conditions of satisfaction, the kind of the key characteristic of those is we want to make those measurable so that at the end of the job, you walk away with some hard data that says, you know, for example, I, I know that our trades had good flow and they, you know, were able to reliably plan the job because I have this percent plan complete of 80 percent that says, yes, they, you know, on a regular basis, for the most part, did what they said they were going to do, except in the instance of you know, weather or unforeseen circumstances. So we, we have the data to back up why this job was successful. Um, and then the last practice I'll touch on the, the plus one elective. That is it really the idea came directly from our ethos, um, you know, specifically, you know, there is there is no finish line. 
uh, knowing that complacency isn't part of our culture, that we want to approach every task with passion, responsibility, creativity and innovation. Um, So we knew that, you know, okay, at some point we're going to become experts at these five standard practices. So then what happens? You know, is is that it? Uh, Obviously, that's, you know, that's not part of our culture. So the plus one elective practice, it's project specific, um, selected by the teams on the project. And then, you know, basically the only stipulation is it has to be a lean practice that isn't one of our five standard practices. Um, And it's all designed to start building our knowledge base of other lean practices that, you know, will become part of that standard arsenal in the future uh, so that we are never, you know, faced with that question of now what, what do we do? Right. So, I mean, basically you built in the stipulation that Lean 2.0 can naturally adapt and evolve because of that plus one and because you set an expectation for your employees and your job sites to find ways to personally make their site uh, more efficient and giving them the opportunity to kind of come up with those ideas on their own. Have you found value in that kind of independence around Lean 2.0? I think so. Like, I think it's really placed a, you know, it's it showcases in action to our project teams that there. This is not a prescriptive process where you know by the book you must do you know these hundred steps in order to do lean. It's more we know each project has unique characteristics. Each team is unique, so let's take advantage of that and you know. What are these practices that are, are going to suit this team best? And for some one team, it, it might be, you know, we want to implement offsite construction because we have a very tight site or, you know, it's a very fast paced schedule or it's a, you know, high rise hotel that really lends itself to, you know, offsite modular construction. Conversely, you know, we might be doing a renovation project uh, comes to mind one that we're doing in Memphis right now of a you know 50 year old building. Um you know, that requires a different approach where it's a, a small space, a small site, but with a renovation, you know, they really need to focus on being clean and getting trash out of the building. So, you know, they're focused on applying 5S principles and using, you know, nothing hits the floor to, to keep everything out of the building and out of the way. And this might be a question for you, Peter, but I think what really makes all those five standard practices plus the one elective and just this Lean 2.0 revitalized structure is the fact that it's not just an organizational front-end change, but it's also a data-driven back-end change to the point where you've basically got Lean by the numbers that you utilize to keep Lean 2.0 data-focused and really showcase what is working and what's not working. How much of an impact have y'all seen data have on the effectiveness of Lean 2.0, and how has it helped you shape Lean 2.0 as you've done more and more uh, Lean projects? Well, I'm a big believer in what gets measured gets results. And so what we didn't want to do was roll out Lean 2.0 and not measure things such as schedule performance, safety performance, budget performance. So just talking about a couple of those for a second. From a schedule standpoint, on average, the industry uh, meets or exceeds uh, project schedule 50% of the time. The other half of the jobs are late. Uh, pre-lean, Flinko's average was about 65%. On the 
lean jobs that we've completed, and we've completed 20 jobs, um, 80 percent of those met or exceeded uh, schedule performance. Uh, from a safety standpoint, we've seen a 35 percent reduction in uh, trade partner incidents on our lean jobs. So it's working from a schedule standpoint, it's working from a safety standpoint, and uh, from a budgetary standpoint, our lean jobs are about 50 basis points more profitable from the contractor's perspective than our non-lean jobs. So it's, you know, it's still early days. We've only completed 20, 20 projects, but the early indication is, is that Lean 2.0 is ticking a lot of boxes for it. And I'll add that that we're really seeing, you know, those those 80, that 80 percent number includes projects that, you know, maybe have only really successfully implemented one or two practices. The projects that have implemented four or more practices, you know, where they, they really check all the boxes and making a high powered effort, um, you know, genuinely bought into the process. Uh, those projects are, are as far as the completed projects go, a hundred percent of those that did four more practices have completed on time or ahead of schedule. Awesome. Uh, so that also kind of makes the case. Yeah. Right. Like that's, that's amazing. Um, but it, it, for me, it makes the case to our other teams that, Hey, if, if you can put out the effort and if you can just, you know, really commit to putting these practices into place and, you know, we have folks in-house who will help show you the way, who are motivated to, you know, help you and make you successful. Um, that's that's all it takes is, is just give us that effort and that commitment and we can help you achieve, you know, success on your project. So you have data, not just, you know, surface level speculations, but cold, hard numbers that reflect Lean 2.0 is useful and it's effective and it is changing Flint Co.'s projects. You mentioned buy-in, though, that that can sometimes be the part that you still have to work on because if you don't get leadership at these sites and you don't get everyone involved at these sites um, to really buy into Lean 2.0, then you know it's not going to be effective, obviously, because either... They're trying to do it, but they're not doing it wholeheartedly, or they only do one or two of the processes. In what ways have y'all been able to convince people to buy in, um, and how do you find is the best way to communicate it to um, the necessary parties in a way that feels uh, feels effective, feels nuanced, and feels like really understands what, what they need out of their day-to-day? For me, it all comes down to communication, and that uh, revolves around training. The worst thing we could have done is come up with this great program called Lean 2.0 and develop these five standard practices and a list of electives, and then said, go do it without any training. So we've held at least two lean boot camps, as we call them. And Melanie, maybe you can describe what goes on in a boot camp, but they last a couple of days. And in each one of the camps, we train 20 or 25 people. And, uh, you know, with, with that newfound knowledge, they can go back to their job sites and they can uh, implement the Lean 2.0 practices and they can do it and they can be successful at it. And it just uh, 
perpetuates itself. Uh, you know, if you're successful on one job using uh, all the practices involved in Lean 2.0, you're going to do it on the next one and the next one and the next one. But uh, Melanie, I know you head up those uh, boot camps, so maybe you could talk a little bit about what goes on. The boot camp is it's a it's kind of the start of our lean coaches education, and it's the most in-depth training uh, that we offer internally at Flint Co. There's there's three levels: a, a basic training, which is foundational knowledge, a basic plus training that's more enhanced, uh, focused towards leadership, and then the boot camp is a two-day. You know, here's the nuts and bolts and the details. We do a lot of group exercises and simulations. Uh, this last year, we took everybody off site so that they would get to know their fellow coaches and, and you know, start to build that network. And, uh, the, you know, that's that's kind of the start of that journey, a classrooms, classroom based education. And then it's followed up by the expectation that now you're going to go out, put these practices that you just learned about in place on the job and help your team through this. And then, you know, once you're at a point where you've got enough expertise putting it into place on your own job, you're going to go help other projects. So, you know, now the, the student becomes the teacher. Um, so that's that's how boot camp kind of develops in, you know, and uh, nurtures those lean coaches. And then our experienced lean coaches, um, we've got 45 total and I would say there's, there's about 15 of them that are, you know, have been doing this the longest. Now they're kind of in that mentor role to other lean coaches. Uh, so, you know, it's not just Spencer and I who uh, focus on our, the two lean managers that Flinka has who focus on lean full time. You know, it's not just the two of us who provide the support system, but now all of a sudden, you know, another superintendent in Oklahoma city, for example, can call up a lean coach who's also a superintendent in Oklahoma City and start to ask them questions. Um, and so really it's, it's building this network that has kind of sustained on itself. And, you know, we've, we've grown that population. Uh, the other thing I would add to that, you know, as far as being able to sustain it from a training standpoint in particular is our basic plus training. Uh, we actually just completed our training of all offices and are making the rounds now to uh, start doing refresher training on this. And like I mentioned earlier, basic plus is really focused on leadership training and, and, you know, trying to give our leaders enough information to when they go out to the job site, they can ask questions about, you know, specifically practices and be informed about what they should be looking for because they're in a unique position, you know, sometimes to see multiple jobs. And so they can not only, you know, share, hey, here's what this one job did and made an improvement on. You guys should try this. But they can also keep an eye out for opportunities to encourage um, training and coaching and, of course, hold our teams accountable. You know, it's if, if they go into a job site and maybe that look ahead schedule you know, has a couple weeks out of date, they can ask the question and it has a whole lot of power coming from that leader. You know, hey, I, I notice you're, you're a little bit a week out of date. What's going on here? Um, so that's that's been a big part of, of how we can sustain our program as well is is making sure our, our leaders are, are bought in and engaged at, at every level. All right, Melanie, Peter, I feel like we've gotten a good sense of how Flint Co. has taken lean, adapted it, made it its own, and turned it into something that's actually useful for the construction industry. So now that you've had such uh, cold, hard success with Lean 2.0, what has creating Lean 2.0 taught you both and the company as a whole 
about how to approach structural issues within your industry um, and how has it given clarity on how to combat some of those structural issues? Well, as I mentioned earlier, our industry is very slow to adopt innovation and technology and for that matter change. You know, we tend to get very set in our ways. And uh, Lean 2.0 within Flinko is a real departure from uh, that. And we're taking a lot of our, uh, you know, tenured employees outside their comfort zone. And uh, it takes a, a lot of communication, a lot of patience, a lot of training in order to, you know, take somebody out of that comfort zone, that paradigm that they're in, and move them into a new operating system, if you like. And uh, Lean 2.0 has become a standard operating practice for us. In other words, every new job that we begin is expected to deploy Lean 2.0. And if for some reason they're not going to, they need to get sp specific uh, permission for that. So change is tough in our industry. We try to do it, as Melanie said earlier, by encouragement rather than punishment. Uh, and, uh, you know, so far, again, it's still early days, but so far things seem to be heading in the right direction. I would add that I think doing it, you know, don't wait for the right time, just start doing it. Um, kind of how, how we did and, and how our leadership and, and Peter really challenged everybody, to, like, let's just get some pilots going. Let's start exploring. Um, there's never going to be that perfect time to implement it, so you might as well do it now. The other thing I would add that I think we've done well is with with Lean 2.0 specifically is uh, we've acknowledged that you know we've got to continue um, building momentum. We've got to work on you know staying consistent and keeping that effort consistent. And so thinking of, you know, okay, what could possibly inhibit our momentum and our consistency and implementing countermeasures to prevent that from happening has uh, played a big role in the success of our program. And then moving forward for Lean 2.0 um, in relation to the rest of the industry, is having Lean 2.0 at Flint Co. something that makes you competitive as a company and therefore you plan on keeping it relatively proprietary and something that Flint Co. masters and therefore you, know, you excel? Or is this something that you think has more value the more other companies use it in the industry and therefore you plan on being a little more open with your methodology and how other companies can achieve the same? Well, our, our, our plan is to share, uh, sh share the success stories that we've had here. Uh, you know, certainly anything we can do as a participant in the industry that uh, improves safety performance, that's worth sharing across the board. Uh, you know, Lean is simple, but that doesn't mean that it's easy. And so, uh, you know, I think, as I said earlier, a lot of companies have dabbled with lean practices, but you really need to do what Melanie and uh, Spencer did, and that's come up with a comprehensive plan. And you have to deploy that plan from A to Z. And if you cut corners, lean's not going to work. And you're ultimately going to say, why am I bothering with any of this? And you're going to quit. And you'll be sort of another statistic in the industry that says lean doesn't work in the construction industry. It has to be a holistic approach, comprehensive approach. And like I said, it's simple, but it's not easy. I, I wish every company had had a Peter uh, that could, you know, give that speech, you know, had a, had a leader like that who could give that speech because 
I mean, that, that is one of our, one of the ingredients of our success is, you know, it's, it's very clear that our leadership is, is bought into this and supports it. Um, I would also say that, you know, absolutely like we'll be, We'll be happy to to share and to talk about it. We've we've given several several presentations uh, already, you know, through a Lean Construction Institute events, or if other folks in the industry ask us, you know, how can how can we get started? Or can you provide some education? So we're absolutely happy to to share that information. Um, you know, it just it pushes us to get better, and really, I think you know our success also comes from our culture and our people. Um, our, our people go out and execute at a very high level. This just helps them, you know, gives them another framework to be able to do that. And that's, that's what's tough to replicate. So. Yeah, you can share the knowledge, but unless that culture is there to really, uh, to really hammer it home, that's still what's going to help separate Flint Co. from the rest of the pack. Absolutely. All right. Well, Peter, Melanie, thank you both for joining us on Flint Co. Forward. It was a pleasure getting to break down the importance of a lean organizational structure in the construction industry, how Flint Co. took that methodology, flipped it on its head, made it its own, came out on top with Lean 2.0, and why it's important that other companies in the industry take a note from Flint Co.'s playbook and uh, you know reassess if they can bring lean to their company. So again, Peter, Melanie, pleasure chatting with you today, and uh, have a good rest of your day. Thanks for joining us. You bet. Thank you Thank very much. Thank you. And thank you everyone for listening to today's episode of Flint Co. Forward. And if you like what you heard and would like to find out more, you can find our podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. You can also head to flintco.com to find that podcast, more content of ours, or just learn a little bit more about the company. And make sure you leave a rating and a comment wherever you listen to your podcast content. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B. Till next time.